0: Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado, and with me on the line from Chicago, Illinois, it's the one and only godfather, Dave Arbarger. Ah. <laughs> Dave, Dave, what are you drinking?
1: Just enjoying my coffee.
0: Okay, Dave. It's uh, it's eight p.m. Central Time.
1: No, I'm not. I'm having a matcha tea latte today. I'm trying something different. Got a different thing going on. Matcha tea, Dave. You know that it has caffeine as well, correct? My spouse told me it does not have caffeine.
0: Am I in trouble here? I mean, okay. Hold on. How many grams of matcha are you, are
1: you are you having in that cup? I don't know. It's a grande Starbucks matcha tea latte. Okay. Well, the the variance is high. The variance the like, high variance caffeine. Yeah,
0: yeah, j- Generally, generally, matcha contains 9 to 44 milligrams of caffeine per gram. A typical serving of matcha is between 2 to 4 grams, which would then contain anywhere from 38 to 176 milligrams of caffeine.
1: So uh, Dave, you could either be totally fine or be off your rocker. Okay, so maybe people don't know, because this is the thing that you and I know about me is that I'm very sensitive to caffeine. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, this is what you told me. I've not seen this in action. You haven't ever seen this in action? No, I've never seen you like you know buzzing off the off the fiend. Oh man, I sweat. I get really nippy with people more than usual. Snippy, yeah, more than usual. I'll get really anxious. I might feel like I'm. I have like an sense of like a sense of impending doom from caffeine. More than usual. More than usual. Yeah, it's all more than usual. It's like heightened me. Heighten <laughs> the caffeine really heightens the worst parts of me. But I still like it. I still need it to get out of bed, but I have to have the exact right amount of caffeine. Well, I
0: I wish you luck on your journey with matcha tea. I, I maybe have, I'm
1: just gonna I'm gonna stop that. I'm only gonna drink it if I need to clear my throat. Yeah. That's all. For, for hydration.
0: Yeah, I've got I've got my I've got like my twenty my twenty year old Nalgene that's probably not safe to drink out of. It's got those
1: BPAs. Well, we hope you all have a beverage with us now and and can enjoy something safe and that'll make you feel great. Do you you ever see the Ken Burns Civil War documentary? (laughs) No, but
0: I'm looking forward to you
1: integrating it into this topic of conversation. Well, it's just talking about caffeine. It always reminds me of there's one letter in that documentary where it's someone writing back about how much they want coffee and how addicted they all are to coffee. And it's like, it's like Josephine, it's like letters from the front and it's like Josephine, (laughs) What I wouldn't do for one more cup of that hot steaming fresh Joe, (laughs) you know, it it girds us and prepares us for, it's like really, like a really dramatic letter about love for coffee that just really sticks out in my memory. I'm going to, I do want to, I need to watch more Ken Burns, I think. Mm, I I don't know. Maybe. I don't know.
0: I should watch the jazz one. I like jazz.
1: Sure. You like baseball too. Did you watch the 15 zillion part
0: baseball one? No, Dave, I have not watched. I haven't watched, I seriously have watched like no Ken Burns. That's fine.
1: You're fine. That's You're good. The,
0: that's the he's like the Pan Zoom guy, right?
1: Yeah, he, he invented Pan Zoom.
0: <laughs> Perfect. He invented it. Well, before we start our offshoot podcast, where we go through all the can that's actually a pretty good idea for a podcast. Uh, we are going to talk this week about the NRG championships that happened this past weekend over Saturday and Sunday. Sixteen players went into the gauntlet, and one emerged victorious. We will talk about them in just a little bit. And Dave, you had the bright idea. I think it's a good idea to talk about our fears, talk about our doubts as we go through a, a little bit of a deck dive for Domain Zoo.
1: Yeah. I, I have to say, I feel I feel the caffeine taking effect right now. I'm going to set the cup no, aside. I, I suddenly feel anxious and um <laughs> not happy. Because we're talking about Domain Zoo. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But before we
0: get into this week's episode, a little bit of housekeeping. We have two new patrons this week. We've got RJ and Shin Thanks so much for becoming citizens of the Dive Down Nation and giving us your support. We have no new reviews this week, but if you want to give us a shout out, tell us what you think, head on over to uh, Apple Podcasts. You can also throw some stars at us on Spotify, either via desktop or mobile. One of the two. I keep forgetting which one. If you want to... To be like RJ and Shin Heng, you can go to patreon.com slash thedivedown, and as little as a buck a week gets you into the definitively discreet Down Discord. Going up from there it gets you various types of swag headed your way. You can also support us uh, by wearing some of our swag, wearing some gear, wearing some t-shirts, some hats, some fanny packs, uh, some hoodies, things like that over at our
1: store, thedivedown.com slash store. Got a lot of those out in the world right now. I know some people are planning on going to, was it Philadelphia? Was that this That's week? Was that SCG There's Con? something there. Yeah, recent, I don't know. There's events coming up. Get some get some swag. We haven't been paying attention to those as much, but um, yeah, we got great great stuff there. And that is at the slash store. Check it out. And if you would like to support us while playing Magic Online, you can check out Manatraders. Manatraders.com, our first sponsor, our first love uh, you know, great rental service. I rented the deck that I was using this week from there. Rented the deck I was using last week from there. Use the code the Dive Down 10 to get 10% off your first two months of rental service. Manitraders.com. Barrister and Man. You want to check out Barrister and Man get some grooming products. We've been talking about them for a while. Use code Down 15 at Barristerandman.com on your first order to get 15% off and let we'll know that we sent you. And then finally, if you would like to get a discount while buying paper cards, you can go to Nerd Rage Gaming and use code DIVE8 to get 8% off of paper cards that you order from them. Just a little bonus you have for being a listener to the show, NerdRageGaming.com. Because we are, in
0: fact, the official podcast of the NRG series. And as such, we're going to head into the breakdown to talk about the championship that took place this past weekend. Again, it had a pretty interesting structure where the 16 players who qualified were broken into two pods uh, as they performed through four stages of both Modern and Pioneer. The first stage was the largest. There was seven rounds of Modern and Pioneer. The top two in each of the pods of eight were automatically advanced into the third stage got to get to skip the second stage, which was three rounds of Pioneer. Actually, that's three rounds of Modern in stage two. Stage three was three rounds of Pioneer. If you won two, you got to stay. And so by the finals of stage four, there were four players left and they fought to the finish in best of three matches uh, between Modern and Pioneer. So let's
1: first... Yes, it's a complicated but cool structure. Don't don't worry about it. I think it was it was good and fair for a structure of a tournament with 16 people who've already won things this year, giving them all a pretty good chance to get to the top.
0: That's a really important thing. And one of the things that all the players there, I saw a lot of tweets from people who were in the, the tournament. Everyone was saying it was just like kind of the most fun and satisfying and rewarding magic that many of them uh, had played in the year, they said they, they really enjoyed the event. And so it must've been run really well and they must've liked the the way it went down. Even though it was, it was slightly more complex as a viewer to really understand. But the most important thing is, is I think it gave people a lot of opportunity to keep playing and, and stay in the tournament and make their way to the finals. So an- another cool thing that everyone was really hyped on was that they, they gave... All of the players like a framed championship series branded sort of like shadow box with three cards that the player had done well with over the past year.
1: Yeah, that was a really nice thing for sure. Yeah,
0: super nice, really cool.
1: And they gave us
0: all of the deck lists from all 16 players. And again, they had to bring a modern and a pioneer deck.
1: Yeah. Can we, can we look at this by format instead of by player? I think it might be a little more interesting for people to do it that way. So let, let's take a look at the overall meta for the two formats first and just list them out. And then we can talk about who played what decks as we kind of look through the, look through the list. We're all familiar with these players now. We'll, we'll get through their names as we go through it. But let's yeah. start with Modern. Why not? It's, it's our home, right? So Modern, here's what the overall breakdown for this 16 player Invitational Tournament was. Three Breach decks, URX Breach, and we'll explain why there's uh, there's an X there this time. You can think about that for a moment. Three Blue-White Control X decks, two Hammer decks, two Rakto Scam decks, two four-color mid range decks, one four-color Elementals decks, one Amulet Titan, one Living End, one Is It Murktide. What do you think about that breakdown? This is
0: more or less what we expected, I suppose. I think there's... You know, perhaps one fewer hammer player, a little bit more blue-white control-based decks. I mean, also the the four-color mid-range decks, as we'll talk about a little bit, are one is more controlling than the other. I'd say so. There's a, a good amount of control here, and but overall, like I think this is what I would somewhat expect like i think the players here were trying to select decks that one i think they thought they had raw power but also decks that they could metagame against what their opponents are doing and i think we'll talk about some of the interesting metagame choices in the deck construction as we go through the individual players lists but yeah i'm not too surprised here i mean maybe the fact that like there's only one is it murktide but this doesn't seem like the kind of tournament that you bring is it murktide Two, right? Because it's sort of like, hey, this deck just has a lot of general play, but it's not something you necessarily might pick to really force out other strategies necessarily.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're Max Kamanowski, who's the person who brought Murktide to this well-known player, Twinless Twin on Twitter, had a lot of success with it through the year. I'm pretty sure that his little vignette of cards was Murktide. Um, I think this is where you go. You You go with the deck that brought you
0: yeah dance dance with who you brought is that how it goes dance
1: yeah you gotta dance with who you who brought you yeah
0: yeah do some dancing
1: so why don't we start with max's deck well since we're talking about it already a couple of interesting things about this deck just to like check it off the list is it Merktide? okay yeah this this is this is a wild one two snapcaster mages in this deck not for dragons rage channelers at this point trying to grind a little bit more one spell snare and one abrade main. This is someone who is keeping an eye out for serious two drops and also wanting a little extra artifact hate main.
0: Yeah, and we'll see that kind. This this kind of theme repeat. Uh, people who have main deck inclusions or sideboard inclusions that you would not normally see because of the small field and I think the expected meta game. Some some cards I did not even know were modern legal. Oh, okay. In Max's <laughs> deck, or just in general? No, just in general. Some some cards in other people's uh, decks and sideboards.
1: Other interesting interesting thing about this Merktide build is that back to a couple Archmage's charms, main, which is sort of come and go as far as different metagames go. But yeah, there you go. Archmage's charm decided to give it a shot for this one. All right. Other than that, since we were we just wanted to start with Merktide since we were already talking about it, but didn't factor into things too much as it turned out. Why don't we start with the top? Deck on the list, and that is Teamer Breach. Or, sorry, Breaches. And the reason that it had an X was because two players brought Teamer Breach, Andrew Ellen Bogan and Jesse Robkin. And then another player brought straight up, is it Breach? And that was who? Yeah, Mac, Mac Andrus brought Jess Guy Breach. Okay, Jess Guy Breach.
0: Yeah, so Andrew and Jesse, I believe they were saying on broadcast, were uh, testing partners. This yeah. weekend, They're, they brought the identical modern decks and pioneer decks. And their Teamer Breach deck was splashing for Ren and Six, being able to pay for Haywire Might, and then also having some Veil vale of Summer in the cyber. Those are the things that I noticed. If you see anything I
1: don't No, I mean, that, w- that would just about cover it. It's Ren and Six really is the thing. And what it replaces in the deck, if you look at it versus uh, Max Deck, uh, is. Teferi, of course, is the card that it replaces. And then also, um, Mac was playing with Thassa's Oracle, and it looks like Jesse and Andrew decided to play not with Thassa's Oracle, but with Grapeshot instead as the, the kill card. One final difference is that Mac was running Ledger Shredder as a 3-of, and was also running Haywire Might as well. So had Splash some green to be able to pay for Haywire Might, and also had Ragavan, of course, to do it. But Ledger Shredder was present in this deck and not in the other two Breach decks.
0: Yeah, I'm you know, because I'm not like a a, a deeply schooled Breach player, like it, it does seem like the Teamer Breach deck seems much more all in on the combo aspect of the deck rather than have like sort of a, a beat down backup plan, right? Like, I mean, what are you attacking with in the, the Teamer version?
1: Well, I mean, one is con- just consistency, being able to grind, you know, being able to hit X1s with Ren and Six, of course, is one thing. Being able to grind, get lands, hit land drops as you want to, be able to pull cards out of your graveyard that you're getting there with Grinding Station. Another big thing is that you can threaten Ren and Six Ultimate here if you if you mm-hmm. want to. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You, you have an alternate win con that isn't really as present in the Jeskai list, where the Jeskai list using Ledger Shredder is maybe a little more focused on being able to attack. This deck is a little less able to attack, but is more able to... Get you with Red and Six plus a couple lightning bolts. The other thing I would notice is that um, Jesse and Andrew were running to Fable the Mirror Breaker, yes, main as well to be able to uh, just for value, you know, get extreme value, but also help fix their mana, get more mana, and even just have like two tutus out of a single card, which can be good in a in a situation like this too, for sure. So these are cool decks. These are masters of this deck. Jesse, in particular, everybody knows. Super well-known for running Breach, so it's interesting to see her decide to audible over to Teamer here, away from Jess Guy, but I'm sure that they had good metagame reasons. Probably wanted to be able to grind as the big one.
0: Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think this was going to be a grindy metagame, especially when we go to our next bucket of modern decks, and that's blue-white X control players. And we can start with... The people
1: we expected to bring, two of them, right, right off the bat, are two people we thought would have this deck. Yeah. So Zach Allen is
0: actually playing a uh, <laughs> blue-white deck in quotes, splashing red and green for things like Ren and Six, for things like uh, basically for Ren and Six. But
1: Zach is running two Jason Mine Sculptor. One other big thing that's that red and green doing this splash lets you do, which is, he's playing Leyline Binding oh, yes, yeah, as a course, full yeah. play set, which Joe Bernal, the next deck you're going to talk about is not. And then also the final control list was also was also running ley binding because it was banned so yeah so let's talk about
0: zach's deck really briefly we have two jason mind sculptor pretty classic there it gets access to of course like you said the full playset of leyline binding with this kind of absurd mana base that modern offers one thing I th- I, that caught my eye was three Boseju in the 75 two main one side to me this indicates a pretty healthy fear of hand hammer and perhaps breach you know there's three endurance in the sideboard as well it's pretty wild to me that we can support uh these types of mana requirements <laughs> with you know endurance is uh one green green archmage's charm is triple blue counter spell double blue there's just a
1: lot of pretty tough requirements that i imagine zach was able to hit uh, reliably yeah i mean red and six you really won't really want to play on turn two if you have it so like you know that's wild yeah, just a lot of a lot of interesting fetching and I'm sure that you know, Zach
0: knows what he's doing there. But then like you said, Joe Bernal's Azorius Control uh, list was very classic, very classic modern list.
1: Oh, and I was wrong. I glanced at his list a moment ago, and it didn't look like he was running Leyline Binding, but he was too. He was running four Prismatic Ending and for Leyline Binding, and so is so is Zach as well. So I, I missed that. I thought that they were only doing one.
0: Yeah, he has a splash for the Triomes. He has a variety of Triomes in there. He has Rafine's Tower, Ketria Triome, and... Besides that, it sort of has like a Jeskai-ish mana base with hollowed fountain and steam vents, but we're talking pretty classic Azorius control structure here. I mean, this is like four basic islands, two basic planes. Like, it's that
1: kind of mana base. Yeah, there is one super wild thing in here for me. Take a look at Joe's mana base. Yeah. Look at that last column of lands. Yeah, I like this one, The Hall of Heliod Generosity. Yeah. I think it's a really good way, I guess, just to, what, recycle your Leyline Bindings? Well, there's two cards. You can recycle Leyline Binding. You can also recycle Shark Typhoon, which is a four-of. Or or Dress Down as well. So there's three cards, really. So... It looks kind of wild when you first look at it, but especially when you are pretty sure that Shark Typhoon and Dressdown are going to end up in your graveyard. Of course they are, because they have natural ways to get there, whether it's via cycling or the sacrifice trigger. Yeah, That's a pretty interesting little piece of tech to be able to bring in
0: there i think it's kind of brilliant like you're expecting uh maybe a grindier metagame where you're going to have time to potentially reuse something from hall of helia's generosity and you know it's the kind of thing that you're not necessarily going to do when you're really stretching your mana base like for renin six and and endurance and so on but in this simpler uh, mana requirements that's something i think you could pull off
1: yeah wild times all right let's talk about the last control deck That's
0: Raja Suleiman on a Bant control list, another person we expected to be on some kind of control. And what Raja was splashing green for here was Broker's Charm, noted modern staple of Broker's Charm, uh, Endurance, of course, and Veil of Summer.
1: I will say, I believe we've seen Raja run Broker's Charm in a control list in the past at, at these energy tournaments. Uh, in some of the earlier kind of actual tournaments themselves.
0: I mean, it's it has value. I mean, it destroys target enchantment, draws two cards. It seems like people are really teching for longer games here. Or, um, you know, it can do something with the, the pile of creatures that this deck has. I mean, when you, it has a value with Solitude, Settle D if you actually really need to use it. But Broker's Charm, I saw people in the Twitch chat saying things like Broker's Charm has looked pretty decent every time I've seen it be cast. And, I mean, I would hope that you get some kind of value out of your your three-mana charm.
1: Interesting. You know, these blue-white control decks, it's a pretty stable shell when you look at the spells that are here. Yeah. Especially when it's like Counterspell, for Prismatic Ending, for Leyline Binding, for Solitudes four to fairy time ravel i think in in all of these as well well not four but a a some number of those so it's interesting to see how they're like slightly changed yeah i mean the
0: the card that i actually wanted to point out in raj's deck too that also uses the green mana and that i didn't really know was modern legal was ray of revelation it's a one and a white destroyed target enchantment flashback for green that's it so, really respecting
1: enchantment removal here. Yeah, it's basically ancient grudge, yeah. right? Like it's the it's the enchantment version of ancient grudge. All oh, right, on yeah. Okay. Well, what's next on the list? We've got two hammer
0: players. We've got uh, Will Kruger. No. Yeah, well, I mean, surprise, right? Uh, his was a Bant Hammer list. The only reason for splashing green that I could notice was to pay for Haywire Mite's ability. Otherwise, it's a very typical Azorius uh, Hammer looking list. And then also uh, Theo Jung uh, was on a Azorius Hammer, looked pretty stock.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Will is kind of the standard setter for Hammer, right? I think na- like, on in the Moto community and here at energy he's kind of been that person and yeah this list looks very close to the thing that he has in a guide that he recently put up for people to buy the one thing that's a little bit of a surprise here is there's no blacksmith skill main deck in this build there's an extra spell pierce so there's three spell pierce and no blacksmith skill So post-board, if you want that extra protection, you can only get access to two of them because that's what's in the sideboard with an extra spell pierce. So that's the one surprise I guess I would have. But other than that, yeah, it's pretty close.
0: Up next, we had two Racto scam players. We had Connor Malali and Piper Powell. I believe they must have tested together as well because they had identical lists for both modern and pioneer.
1: Yeah, I I was looking at that too, and I don't remember anything circulating about that in um on Twitter. Like I didn't see anybody mention that on Twitter like I did about Andrew and Jesse. But it seems. We must, we have to assume that.
0: Yeah, highly likely. Uh, and this list is pretty stock. They've got two Blood Moon, three Fable, the Mirror Breaker, six Undying Malice and Feigned Death effects, plus two Malicure Rebirth, the Flip Land. Uh, but otherwise than that, it looks like scam.
1: Yeah. I do think eight Undying effects is a little high. It's usually seven. Yeah, it is. I feel like. And a lot of the lists that we've seen online recently have rotated away from Malachir Rebirth and are running like three Undying Malice and four Feign Death are the opposite. So it is interesting to see them go for one extra one. This is a pretty streamlined looking version of Scam when you start to look at it that way, where it's kind of like you got your eight elementals, you got four Lightning Bolts, four Thoughtseize, eight Undying Effects, yep. Ragavan, Dalthy Voidwalker, and then basically six pyromancer effects because you have three season pyromancer and three fables and then your kind of wild cards are blood moon two blood moon and Croxa. yeah deck looks good to me so this was a deck that I saw people talking about a little bit on Twitter like Zach Allen kind of felt like said that he got Destroyed by this deck because he wasn't expecting anybody to bring scam. I think I think this might have been the deck that nobody thought from like the high end meta game of modern that most people thought wouldn't show up at this tournament, and then it turned out two people brought it.
0: Yeah, a bit of a curveball. I don't think scam had been. I don't remember any of these players kind of bringing something like scam to the table in the past, and so maybe it was something where like, hey, we can get a bit of a surprise factor. We have a lot of you know hand disruption and board disruption, so maybe we can make something happen here. And then also because the, the mana bases are fairly aggressive in many of these decks, maybe they were like, "Hey, these four and you know five color players, we can maybe catch out with our blood moons." We had two players on what are in the two color mid range bucket, but the decks are pretty different, in my opinion. Uh, we had Nicole Dubin on a four color sort of Omnath, pretty stock looking, if you can call a deck like this stock, where they you know they have the elementals like Solitude, Fury. Endurance, Omnath. Uh, she had a few Illadamri's Call, uh, Ephemerate, and Lightning Bolts all showing up a bit in the main deck. I did notice that she put an old-school, like, Surgical Extraction in the side, not something you see a ton of, maybe just hedging against, some, uh, you know, some graveyard.
1: Call Stan. I'm calling Stan.
0: Let him know. Stan. Someone's playing Surgical. Nicole had Surgical Extraction in her sideboard. And then we also had Ivan Espinosa on a four-color Omnath build, but this looks much more of a controlling build than Nicole's List. It has things like Jace and March of Otherworldly Light, Supreme Verdict as a one-of, things like that. Chalice of the Void? Yeah, Chalice.
1: Two Chalice of the Void, man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is a much bigger version of that shell. So, And then we
0: have into our one-ofs, we have a four-color Elementals deck that... Derek Davis. Yep. Derek Davis brought, uh, it's looks like elementals as you know, from the, from the four flame harbinger on down it's uh, four color elementals. Then we have, let's see, we have a uh, max as mentioned on the, is it Murktide list? We have Zoe Riederman on living end. That looked like living end to me and at, living End master. Yeah. Zoe, just, you know, like dance, dance with dance with, you know who you brought the deck that brought this, you yeah etc etc adam wasper and moses um amulet titan pretty normal looking main deck cultivator colossus some interesting sideboard options however like an emerald the promise end and hydroid crisis making an appearance we've seen some hydroid Crisis in the past uh, adam decided to bring it back again i think a lot of people expected games to go longer here or have the opportunity to have games to go long. So having some good sideboard options for those type of environments, I think is pretty smart. There's our modern metagame.
1: What do you think? I think it's great. Again, we talked about off the top, but what do you think about these individual decks? I think there's a lot of smart construction here,
0: right? I think these are not stock lists. I think people put a lot of testing time in. I think they put a lot of thought into what the metagame would look like. They wanted to have uh, their sideboard tuned for that, and main deck tuned for that meta game. I mean, these are not like open meta game deck lists, right? Like these, if you have things like Ray of Revelation uh, in your sideboard, if you have three Poseidus in your seventy-five as like a blue-white X control deck, you're you're predicting something special and trying to
1: prepare for that. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting here is these people know each other very well for the most part, or lots of them do, and there's lots of. You know, relationships in here among the people that are in this 16 person field right and I saw for example someone shared I don't remember who it was someone shared a spreadsheet and said well here's what we thought everybody was going to bring to this tournament and they were they had highlighted what they had gotten right and what they had gotten wrong and they were like I was pretty close to to knowing what what people what people were going to bring down to the player and so I think like you said people could really sit down and it's almost like a knowable thing right so you could sit down and try to figure out okay I'm going to try to level it and try some things whether it's with deck choice or sideboarding I do think that from the twitter whisper network it looked like scam was the the leveling deck you know i don't remember how those two players fared completely but um i do know that it was a surprise to see that for people out in the swiss during modern at least and then the other decks i think are kind of decks that we mostly expected people to have and some specific players to have but um all of them like you said had tech in the sideboard or in the main to account for the meta What's your favorite What's your favorite little piece of tech that you saw here? Ooh, I mean, <laughs> it's not the Spell
0: Snare, even though the Spell Snare is perfect in a metagame like this. Um, I mean, a lot of people were splashing green to pay for Haywire Might, and I think that's that's smart. I mean, I don't know if this is like normal tech in things like Hammer and such, but I think Haywire Might was definitely a card we're seeing make uh, you know, pretty frequent appearances. And... Maybe Broker's Charm. I mean, I'm not like a control player fishing out of any means. I don't know if I'd call it tech, but like, I do, I just really respect the number of players who were like, "Hey, this is going to be a grindy controlling meta game. How do I tune my main deck selections to like allow me to get advantage in that environment?"
1: Yeah, I think mine is probably Jesse and Andrew going for Ren and Six and Breach, which is a variation that's known but hasn't seen a ton of play. A lot of places and sort of bring that back here because they felt like it was a good fit for this meta i think it's cool
0: yeah so i think we have a lot more to say about these modern decks than we do the pioneer decks probably think because one we know the modern decks a lot better oh well we'll see about that i'll be the judge of that perfect so let's talk about our overall pioneer metagame we have four mono white humans three azorius control two green devotion two lotus field Two Rakdos midrange, one Gruel Vehicles, one Silesnia Angels, and one Enigmatic Fires. Interesting. So fairly close to our original thoughts, I think. Um, there's actually a little bit more skewed towards people making what I think is probably the correct choice in a lot of ways, which is let's, hey, let's play the deck that's got the numbers and we can tune for the metagame, things like mono white
1: humans. Yeah. I mean, I think mono white humans is the big surprise to me. I didn't think that many players would bring an aggro, what's essentially what is an aggro deck to this field, especially with these players, right? Because there's always a little bit of a reputation that good players maybe have better tools against aggro lists. You know, or are better able to understand exactly what they need to do in order to survive an aggro matchup. But you know, I saw Andrew Ellenbogen on Twitter today, or you know, right after the tournament, say, "I guess it's time for us to let you in on a little secret, which is that we really think that White Humans is the best deck in Pioneer." Yeah, and it's interesting because it's been bubbling for a while, but yeah, nobody's really said it, which is wild. I mean, like it's this, these are not secrets. We are not like. T-
0: leave readers. We are not like digital archaeologists. We are just when we talk about mono white humans, like 55% win rate, like we're just reading numbers off of websites. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like a lot of people could make, I think, come to these same conclusions and just be like, hey, this is clearly one of the top decks in the room, if not the top deck. Yeah. So
1: why don't we start with that? What did what did these lists look like?
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, they looked like mono white humans lists. <laughs> so let's let's <laughs> the players that were on it were uh, Nicole Dubin, Mono White Humans, Andrew Ellen Bogan, Jesse Robkin. Jesse Robkin, of course, and who's our final player? Uh Adam Wasburn Moses. That's right. So I can't really speak a lot. To these lists, that like I don't really know what the big differences are. The things that I do notice in, let's go to Andrew and Jesse's list because they played the same list. They kind of have an interesting split between like two Skyclave Apparition, two Brutal Cathar for the sort of like three drop interactive drops. They have Extraction Specialist as a one of. Extraction Specialist, he yeah, has a one of. Uh, of course, and they, they, I think, I don't know if these are always included in these lists, but some cards I saw do work were things like Castle Ardenvale and Aganjo, Seed of the Empire. Uh, you know, Castle Ardenvale was definitely a card that for these grindy matchups, I definitely saw do a lot of work for Jesse in the games that I saw her, her play on camera. There's Wedding Announcement in the sideboard. There's four of Wedding Announcement, um, definitely another grindy, you know, card. It does a lot of value long-term.
1: Yeah, I think the the only difference I can tell between Jesse's list, for example, and Adam Wasper and Mo- Moses's list is he has four brutal Cathar and a Skyclave apparition, and she has two Skyclave apparition, two brutal Cathar, and one extraction specialist. But then also has two brutal Cathar on the sideboard. So it's like it's like what O ring creature do you want to play? And then having a little bit of value with the extraction specialist move is you know to get some you know some grind. A little bit out of your deck, but I think that that's pretty much it. And then looking at Nicole's list, Nicole's list is a little different. A couple of main deck Tomics, main deck Hithian, uh, main deck Thalia, Heretic Cathar. So a couple more pieces of tech in here that maybe weren't in the other players' lists.
0: There's a lot less interaction in this list. There's four Adeline instead of like the Brutal Cathar and like the Skycleave Apparition. There's only a Singleton one of those. So I think that uh Nicole is looking to perhaps you know beat down a little bit more strongly and also with the main deck Tomic kind of do a little bit of I mean like so what's the, the main advantage for you can't play land cards from graveyards and lands on the battlefield can't be targets of spares of ability your opponent's control. So this is a hedge against Lotus. Yeah. In the main. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Because you can't target it with your uh the copying Hidden strings. Land. Yeah. Or yeah, or any of your spells. Yeah, it basically just shuts down Lotus Field. So Nicole must have been expecting a little bit more than was out there in the field.
1: So there you go. All right. What was next on the list? Azorius Control. Azorius Control. Weird. The
0: players that brought Azorius Control variants to Modern also brought it mostly to Pioneer. We have Zach Allen on Azorius Control. We have Joe Bernal on Azorius Control. We have Derek Davis on Azorius Control.
1: What we do not have, though, is Roger Lyman. On a, Azorius control, which I thought was almost a lock for for Pioneer here, but we'll get to that later for sure.
0: I don't have much to say about these lists. They look like you know what I would expect Azorius control and Pioneer to look like. There's some interesting newer cards that I really because I haven't been paying attention to the, this deck. Very much like late, like Zach Allen's running four Lay Down Arms, a card out of Brothers War. It's a single white sorcery. It exiles target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. Its controller gains three life. So there's just oodles of planes in the hollowed fountains, the irrigated farmlands, the prairie streams, the basic planes. So you can take down uh, any number of creatures for a single white mana uh, if this deck you know gets going for a while.
1: Yeah. And then one of the other big differences is that Joe Bernal's list is a Yorian list. Mm. So it's 80 card, and it has kind of what you would expect for 80 cards, but that's uh, that's what it is. But yeah, I, uh, these are just control piles. They're the things that you would expect to see in Pioneer, the best blue-white control cards in slightly different configurations from each other.
0: Yeah. I mean, Joe got to play you know, four Shark Typhoons in both of his decks this weekend. So just, you know, play the cards you love and and just work with them. Get some Dovin's Veto, get some Arch of Otherworldly Light, have some fun. And Derek Davis's list, I mean, I don't know what to say. He, he's doing the four to Lay Down Arms tack, uh, has if you know some counter spells, some removal, some things like that, but it's not a Yorian build. So kind of focusing on winning with you know, Wandering Emperor, Teferi Five, things like that. Yep. All right, what's next on the list again? Two green devotion lists. I know that Zoe Reiderman was one of the people on that, and the other was uh, Theo Young. And I don't have much to say about these lists.
1: Nope. They just look like mono green to me, not to dismiss anybody's work that they put into testing, but... Yeah.
0: And then we have uh, Connor Malali and Piper Paul. As I said, they look like testing partners because they have identical 75s for their Lotus Field decks. I don't know Lotus Field well enough, and these decks seem that they change a lot. Lotus Fields, like last six, seven cards, I notice change quite a bit when I look at deck lists. One thing I do notice is they're going for more Hope Tenders. Like I've seen Hope Tender, which is a card back from um, Hour of Devastation and it's a one and a green, 2-2 two, two, human druid. Uh, you can pay one and tap it to untap target land, or you can pay one, tap it, and exert it to untap two target lands. If you forget, exert means it doesn't untap during your next untap step. So they have three main and an additional one in the sideboard. I've seen typically one or two in lists in the main deck uh, on when I've been doing looking at MTG Goldfish. That's kind of one small change I've noticed, but this, the, they're also running... like. Like four emergent ultimatum. I think I typically see something like three. They have a main deck languish, which is not always there. So some small tweaks. And the languish is probably awesome against mono white humans.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, is the big thing here that hope tender plus hidden strings lets you untap even more lands? Is that kind of what the vibe is?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's just a, it's just a nice untapper. I don't know if it's the best untapper, but it must be if people are running it. I mean, untapping two target lands is big game. Like, if you have a Thespian Stage copying a Lotus Field or something like
1: that, so... Well, also, if you can then Hidden Strings, untap Hope Tender, exert Hope Tender again, because there's nothing to stop you from exerting it a second time in a single turn. Like, you can can get a ton of mana going on pretty fast. Yeah, good
0: point. Yeah, because Hidden Strings doesn't target just lands. It's untap or tap target permanent, so... Mm. Sounds good to me. All that right. A well, lot we're of out of man. our
1: depth here with Lotus Field, but... Yeah, we tried
0: valiantly. And then we go to two Rakdos range decks. And our players on that, I know Raja Suleiman was one player on Rakdos range. Who was our other, Dave? Did you see it on the list? Oh, Max Kamanowski.
1: Yep. Anything Let's talk about, about you here? first, because yeah. that was the last match of the tournament, was Raja on Rakdos versus Jesse Robkin on Mono White Humans. No spoilers, but... Not to spoil too much. We'll get to it. But uh, Rajas Rakdos list, you know, pretty... Kind of normal what you would expect. It's got yeah. four Blood Tithe Harvester, two croaksta two Misery Shadow, four Bone Crusher Giant, three Graveyard Trespasser, three Shieldred, the Apocalypse, four Fable, the Mirror Breaker, Four Fatal Push, Four Thought One of our Doomblade, Go for the Throat, and Liliana of the Veil. <laughs> Miser's
0: copy, just kind of covering my bases here with a Doomblade, Go for the Throat, and Liliana.
1: Yep. And then two Dreadbore in uh, in the main as well to close it out. Yeah looks like rectus mid-range i like yeah it looks great i mean i like this is a this is a very
0: safe mana base too uh and you can you can do stuff like that when you have like fable and so on but like i think it's 28 lands one two three four five no just uh 26 25 lands so 26 I think nice is a lot say.
1: for a mid-range deck
0: yeah. No. I mean, it's, it's definitely safe. You know, you have the four creature lands, two hive, two den of the bugbear. You have your castle lockthwain. You know, you have a lot of ways to use your mana over time. You know, Takanuma is another card that you can you know, channel to get something back out of your graveyard. So I think this is, you know, it, it's a very safe, good list. And I cannot believe when I saw Raja playing this on camera, like how well he played this deck. And we'll talk more about that, I think, as we, we go forward. But just so much value generated out of these cards.
1: Yeah, I mean, the big difference in the deck that Max Kamenowski brought was that he, Max had three three Reckoner Bankbuster Main yeah. with one in the sideboard wow. as well, which is a card wow. that's been showing up in this list for a while, but I don't think I've ever seen a full place that in the 75 before. I could be wrong about that. All the misery shadow were in the side. Extinction event was in the side. You know, all of that stuff was over there. Not as much uh not as much removal, a lot of power word kill instead of all the other one ofs. Not respecting slozy Angels. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Really puts you in a bind if someone has angels. And there was one person that did. <laughs> The thing that... I mean, so Reckoner or
0: Bankbuster. Dave, let's talk about this card briefly because I literally don't know what it does. It's a 4-4 vehicle for two. It ETBs with three charge counters on it. You can pay two and tap it to remove a charge counter to draw a card. If there are no charge counters on it, you create a treasure token and a one-one colorless pilot creature token with this creature. Cruise vehicles as those its power were two greater, and its crew th- crew three. So yeah, basically it draws you cards, and then if you don't have a creature to crew it, it gives you a one-one that can crew reckoner bankbuster. So again, this is like just what a grindy card.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that it upgrades cards that can be somewhat average in the late game, like Blood Tithe Harvester. You know, you can crew with your Blood Tithe Harvester if you want to turn it into a 4-4 instead if you don't want to draw a card for some reason. But yeah, it's mostly value, draw some cards, and occasionally crew it up with something like um, Graveyard Trespasser or Blood Tithe Harvester, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Gutsy pick, I think, but uh, cool. So then we have our one of's of Gruel Vehicles, Slesnia Angels, and Enigmatic Fires. We had Will Kruger on Gruel Vehicles. We had Dave, who was on Slesnia Angels. Oh, it's Ivan Espinoza. Yep. And then Edigmatic Defending Fires. Defending
1: Champion
0: Ivan. Yeah. And then who was on Enigmatic Fires? Mac Endris. Cool. Well,
1: wow. I don't. I really don't have a lot to say about the <laughs> these decks. No. Nope. Me either. I do really like the Gruel Vehicles decks it's probably something that i would look into if i was looking to buy a bunch of rares for for pioneer right now yeah right you know you got to get the essicus chariot and get sky sovereign i mean this this tech was shown to be decent at least it was at the top range of the brackets that we talked about last week from um frank carson's article but not as um you know not as mainstream and and didn't do that great this weekend either yeah
0: All right, so that actually took longer than I anticipated to talk about all these decks. So let's talk about the results of the actual tournament. So NRG, because of the unique structure of the tournament, we actually didn't give a lot of like super deep data about like win and loss, and wins and losses and things like that. I'm looking forward for them to publish that hopefully in the next day or so. So I kind of pieced this together by watching the broadcast, looking at the VODs and things like that. So stage one, again, was a seven round sort of modern and pioneer intro round where the top two people from each group of eight were moved on straight to stage three. In pod A, we had Connor Malali and Max Kamanowski take top seats.
1: Yeah, just a reminder Max was on Merktide and Ractos Mid. Those are the decks that Max advanced with.
0: Connor was on Scam and Lotus Field, and they went straight to stage three. Uh, Adam, Waspern, Moses, and Derek Davis were eliminated from pod A. And then advancing on were Nicole Dubin, Ivan Espinoza, Zach Allen, and Zoe Riederman. Pod B, we had Raja Suleiman and Jesse Robkin advance straight to stage three. I know that they each got five wins in stage one, so they went five and two.
1: And just a reminder, Raja was the band control player and on Rakdos Mid jesse was on teamer breach and mono white humans
0: and then eliminated were was joseph banal on his azorius control duo and mac endris who we said was on enigmatic fires and what dave
1: and enigmatic fires and i believe was it the elementals players
0: yeah was the was the just guy breach player just Guy breach and then advancing out of that into stage two were ellen ellen andrew ellen bogan theo young Piper Powell and Will Kruger. So, stage two was three rounds of modern. You have to win two to stay in. Theo Young, Piper Powell, Will Kruger, and Zach Allen all failed to win two, which means that Zoe Riederman, Ivan Espinoza, Andrew Ellenbogen, and Nicole Dubin advance out of stage two to make stage three. They join Connor Malali, Jesse Robkin, Raja Suleiman, and Max Kamenowski to form the stage three pod. Yeah, essentially, this is the top eight. Yeah, right? this is the top like, eight. This is the top eight. They have to win two rounds of Pioneer now to stay in. And Andrew, Raja, Jesse, and Zoe survived to go into the top four. And the finals, or stage four, were best of three matches. It alternated format choice by the players. It begins with uh, Jesse versus Andrew on a Mono White Humans mirror. Uh, Jesse wins the first match, and then they switch to the Teamer Breach mirror,
1: and Jesse then wins that as well. I mean, clearly the the team, like two people that had it really go their way with both both of their deck choices making it into the top four. Yes. Essentially, it's kind of too bad that they met each other in the, the semis, but it is what it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, meanwhile, Zoe faced Raja. Um, Zoe lost the first match. We didn't see the format played on stream. And then she wins the second match with Mono Green Devotion over Rakdos, and then loses in three games in the Living End versus Band Control modern match. So, our finals are Jesse versus Raja. They begin with Raja on Band Control versus Jesse on Teamer Breach. She loses the first match there. Match two, uh, they decide to repeat the modern matchup. Jesse prevails. Match three, I believe, is forced to be Pioneer based on the rules, and that's for all the marbles. Jesse wins game one of the Pioneer finals off the back of some nice tiddly lands, especially Castle Ardenvale to finish off Raja. Game two is a wild one, it's super grindy. Raja's able to stabilize using cards like Shieldred. Uh, the graveyard trespassers become graveyard gluttons, and then. Unfortunately for me, I did not see game three of this one. I had to do family stuff. And so I had to turn off the stream and then I was working today. I didn't have the day off. So I don't know what happened there. Uh, but I do know that Raja Suleiman uh, takes it all down by all accounts, playing some super lights out magic. I know Jesse was, was uh, really effusive about the quality of play from Raja and you know, said that he deserved to win.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of awesome. These are all players that we watched the whole year. This top four is all players that we talked about multiple different times. And, you know, many of these people who made it all the way through the day were. And so it's great to see someone who I think one of the first times I remember talking about Raja was one of the first energy events that we covered at the beginning of 2022 and noticing that he was someone who is in kind of in the same orbit or similar orbits to zach allen so cool to see someone from that community kind of take it all down Wish it had been someone who's in our discord you know jesse is someone who is is sometimes around the dive down nation but uh not this time I guess, but we'll see. Still a great year for her too.
0: Just an yeah, amazing achievement by all these players. I think like a lot. These players put in so much work to get to where they are. You definitely could tell that they did so much testing and so much preparation for this event. And the magic that was being played was super high quality. The stream was high quality. The everything was was really good. And I really was happy that the NRG, the year of NRG, when they went really big, I think had a really good tournament to end everything. You know, next year. Uh, the events will continue. We'll have fewer to talk about uh, that. I think just lets us focus more strongly on them and lets players make the, the trips more, more special events. I think more people can kind of travel from out of town to make those as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, NRG have fewer but larger events in 2023.
1: That would be cool. All right, Shane, thanks for putting this together for us. Sorry, we turned it into an hour of content, but... uh, How'd we we do it? It was cool to go through the decks. Interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. So Dave, let's get out of here. Let's take Mm -hmm. a quick break, and then we'll come
1: back to talk about Domain Zoo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to do a dive down as fast as this deck is supposed to be. (laughs) So stay with us. Shane, you know what it's never too early for? Dave, what is it never too early for? It's never too early to get ready for spring (laughs) and get ready for that fresh fit, that fresh beard fit, that fresh beard scent. Yeah. And luckily, we have some new release schedules here from our partners at Barrister Man. We totally do. So we, are, I'm looking at the
0: spring release schedule, and I'm seeing some things that are uh, piquing my interest. One of the first ones, Dave, is the Passiflora bath soap. I really like Passiflora shaving soap, so I'm hyped to have this in like a, a bar soap, a bath soap. I know that, and Paganini's violin is also coming out in a bath soap as well. So we have, I know that you and Stan are both soap men as well. So we have some new soaps coming out. I can use my, my now seven soap dishes as the soap dish collection grows to have all of them in front of me. Amazing. That's not true, but I'd like it to be true. There's a new release coming out as well, it looks like, or maybe this could be a re-release, and it's Marilyn, which looks like it's a tribute to Marilyn Monroe. And the scents sound dope, which is kind of some classic male sense, typically. Uh, amber, bergamot, uh, leather, fur, tobacco, sand. This is, man, this is everything. Fur? Yeah. Fur? Fur. Uh, it's, this is coming out in the shaving soap, aftershave splash, aftershave balm, and eau de toilette. So uh, going all in on this one, I'm assuming this is a fan favorite. And that's. Com- these are all coming out February 7th. And then in March 14th, intended to celebrate the 10th anniversary. A Barrister and Man. Congratulations on 10 years. That is my my, uh, significant other's birthday. Ooh, so you can buy her some uh, Rhapsody. That actually sounds pretty awesome. This is coming out in shaving soap, aftershave splash, aftershave balm. Not really going to work for her, but the bath soap and aude de toilette, I imagine, would. This is a fruity flavor, pear, apple, cherry blossoms, lemon, orange, orange flower, rose. Man, that sounds really good. I like the ones that are kind of like a little bit like funky fruity. So yeah. So keep your eyes peeled on the Barrister and Man releases coming out both in February and in March. And if you want to purchase any of these, use code the Dive Down fifteen for your for for fifteen percent off your first order at Barrister and Man. I, I did notice, Dave. For someone who actually used this code, uh, someone on our YouTube, Jared K, said, I bought from Barrister and Man. Love the Leviathan smell and taiga smell. Got the Tiger bar soap. Will definitely buy again. See? People like this stuff. It's not just us.
1: Yeah, not just us. All right. Thank you so much for your support. And thank Will and the folks at Barrister and Man for supporting the Dive Down. We appreciate you. All right, Shane. So we thought after what could potentially have been a long tournament breakdown, which actually did turn into a long tournament breakdown, we thought maybe we would do a little bit of a aperitif or a little bit of a dessert with a short modern dive down this week on a deck that we think is cool, but maybe not the most complicated thing in the world, but still pretty (laughs) interesting. So the last couple of weeks... You know, particularly last week when we were looking at modern results, we noticed that most of the top 10 of the meta was pretty stable, with one exception. And Shane, do you remember what that deck was that was new, a new entrant into the top 10 most played decks in modern?
0: Yeah, it had eclipsed uh, even popular things like Amulet Titan and Yawgmoth, and it was
1: Domain Zoo, I believe, was ninth place in yep. December. Main Zoo, ninth place. So we thought, you know, Stan took a look at this deck a few months ago. It's gotten a little bit of a renaissance since episode, I think 192 was the one where Stan took like a look at it. So it was ago? two or three months ago, maybe 194. Ah, uh, time flies. Yeah. Well, that's only two or three months ago, right after Dominaria came out. We thought it'd be good for us to take a look at it. Stan didn't really like it when he played it. We thought maybe it would be good for Shane and Dave to take a look at it and see what we think about yeah. this build.
0: And this is this is a deck that we both have played variations of in the past, and we'll get into a little bit more about you know kind of how that fits into the the history of modern a little bit. I think.
1: Yeah. So we're going to talk about domain, what's in it, where it came from. Talk about if it's a good if we think it's a good deck, why we think it might be hanging around a little bit right now, and if we think it's worth giving it a shot. If you should give it a shot after his so here, so maybe it's a little bit of a sleeve belief heave, hmm? Hmm? even though we've got one of those coming up soon. So. Let's talk about domain. Why are we domaining? Why are we domaining, Dave? What's domain? Okay. It basically just gives you
0: rewards based off of how many different types of lands you have in play. So, you know, plains, island, swamp, mountain, forest. Yeah. Not waste, right? Does waste count? Waste does not count. Why not? Oh, why not? I don't think it does. Oh,
1: maybe it does. Are you going to make this hard for me? This is rules we should know, Dave. Oh, boy. Okay, you you Google that while we're talking. I mean, I think the thing about Domain is that – or that surprised me as I did a little bit of research into this was that it's, it's had a renaissance suddenly in the last couple of years, but it's a super classic magic ability, right? Like, it was an invasion – that was where it came from. Like many things that I think people love about this era of of magic, like our era of magic design is that people have looked at Invasion for some inspiration.
0: Breaking news. Wastes does not have a land type, so it does not count. Got it. It just says
1: land. <laughs> Perfect. Good to know. We'll, we'll file that away. So, But it has had a, a bit of a renaissance, in particular in Dominaria United, You know, there was a lot of stuff inspired by Invasion Block in that set. But also, Modern Horizons 2 had a bunch of cards that had Domain on them somewhat inexplicably. And so, the thing that was interesting to me when I took a look at this for something, like I said, that kind of looms large in my memory, is that there's only 57 cards that have Domain as an ability word on them, which is not much across the history of Magic, especially for something that I think everybody just kind of gets as a design concept there's not that many now there are a few cards i assume that don't have the actual ability worded ability onto them like there's a card in crimson vow that i don't think says domain but basically behaves like it's domain etc 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 but still 60 not a lot in 30 years of magic for something that people really like surprisingly few and so the best cards Though I think people know very well, and they really do reward you in mana cost efficiency for getting to to that domain of five, or sometimes even make it worth four. And what are those things? Like what are the cards that at least as far as this deck goes, are really being reliant on domain? Well, there's two things in this deck. There's two types of cards in this deck. Am <laughs> I right, Shane? It's two cards. There's interaction and there's creatures, and that is it. It's a perfect aggressive creature deck. Yep. Lands, inter, or lands, creatures, interaction, that's it. It's worth noting that the, the list that I played, which was a three-run from a prelim by Odorus Orungus, who is a Magic Online player whose name I've definitely seen before, there's no black cards in this deck. I know that occasionally there's some black sideboard cards in these builds. This one was only four-color domain, realistically, although, of course, you still want swamps to show up. So let's start with the creatures. And by starting with creatures we're going to start with stuff that is decidedly not domain. In, Definitely not domain. And we'll look at it by mana curve because there's only two, there's there's three mana curve spots in this deck for creatures. There's one drops, two drops, and occasionally three drops, though I didn't play any and we'll talk about those, not very much. But the one drops, what one drops do you think are in a five-color domain <laughs> deck, Shane? Well, I know Wild and the Coddle's in it. Yeah. K-
0: kind of the necessary evil card.
1: Uh-huh. the
0: The one that does surprise me and i kind of want to get into this is ragavan. Yeah. I mean, it's just like like it's just like is this a card you just play if you have creatures and
1: interaction and you're just like, "Hey, if i ever connect with this card, i'm really happy?" Yep. Pretty much. I mean, the fact that the treasure tokens can help mana fix you is great and of course that they can help ramp you is huge in a deck where you could potentially go turn two, drop a two drop, like turn one, play Ragavan. If it survives, turn two, drop a two drop, get an extra treasure with Ragavan and then drop two more powerful two drops on turn three. That can be pretty good. So I think that Ragavan fits in pretty well. I found the card advantage in this deck to be keenly needed. So it's Ragavan. I mean, the the thing that I think was helpful for me when I was able to play
0: Ragavan and keep it on the board was the mana fixing. Because the, the as we'll get into, like I think the mana of this deck is a little bumpy, and you're not always able to fetch exactly how you want to sequence stuff in the way that you want or have access to the colors that you want or keep up like a color that you want while also playing to the board. And so treasure tokens just help a lot with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think they help with it. I will say for me, I think it was more about the ramp and just having oh, extra sure. yeah. interaction available. Like... Okay, I'm gonna attack, and now I have a treasure token, and because of that, because I played ter- uh, territorial kavu, and I get a treasure token, then, and because that's a five-five, I have stubborn denial up. You know, like that kind of thing was was pretty big. So anyway, there's there's that card, and then also, like Shane said, wild nacatl, wild nacatl. You know, it's a one-one for green that gets plus 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 one plus one if you control planes, and plus one plus one if you control a mountain.
0: Yeah, what I didn't love about Wild Nacatl was just like some of the times the way that it makes you want to fetch or the may, the way it makes you want to sequence certain things is not great. Where it's like, okay, like I I have a green source turn one and I can play my Wild Nacatl the and then like do I really care about getting the Plains and Mountain going for kind of like having it be more powerful turn two, or do I kind of fetch in a way lets me play a two drop? It's just sort of like there because you want to have eight one drops i think but like you know this card is just a removal magnet which is fine because you know sometimes you want your your more larger cards and not get killed but you know it's wild in the cuddle it's been outclassed by things in modern for quite some
1: time so yeah let's come back to these i think the story of one drops in this deck is really complicated Mm. when it comes down to it even though these cards are Not that complicated and wild Nakadal, like you said, outpaced Ragavan format staple. I think that these this deck might ask you to play them in a way that we're not totally used to, and that is part of the trickiness of piloting this deck. Well, I think, but the real power of this deck is the two drops, and the two drops are all about domain, they're all about domain, yes, 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 and the best one. I think out of this set is territorial Kavu. Territorial Kavu is red and a green. For Kavu, its stats are star, star, and its domain is that their Kavu's power and toughness are each equal to the number of basic land types among lands you control. Yes. So, whatever territorial Kavu attacks, you choose one. Either you discard a card if you do draw a card, or you exile up to one target card from a graveyard. This is a big threat. You want to play it as a five, five. It doesn't have trample, but it does have yes. rummage on attack, which is actually super useful.
0: Oh, yeah. The the lack of trample is, I think, quite bad. Yeah. It, it really does seem like this card should have trample. Uh, we'll talk about an enabler for that a little bit later. I really did like the rummage ability, for sure, because like you, you do not want to have trample too much land in this deck because you, once you hit your colors and you have a certain density of mana, then you're you're good to go. So like, you know, throwing away a land or an unnecessary piece of interaction to try to draw into perhaps more creatures or draw into, you know, burn to give you reach, I think are, are
1: really clutch here. Yeah. And that's why I think this is the best of these cards, even though the other, and it's also the most resilient against removal facing it, right? Like it's, it's, or blockers for that matter. You know, this is the one that it's a five, five, it can get through an opposing crashing footfalls token, or it can block and make it hard for your opponent to attack in with rhinos. You know, there's, there's other situations too, but I I think that the rummage ability and the ability to draw you to more gas when paired with ragavan kind of is the best, the reason that this is the best, most important one, the one that you don't want to have die. I think let's go to the next card. Neshoba brawler. So this is a generic (laughs) and a green cat warrior from Dominaria. It's got trample and its domain is its power is equal to the number of basic lands. It is a star three card. Yeah. I remember during spoilers, we talked about this card for like a second and thought, well, maybe it's a two drop. It could be a big, powerful thing on turn two. Cards fine. The trample is clutch.
0: The trample is super huge here. It's also easy to cast. That's like a big thing for me is like only, you only need a single green source and then anything else from like your mess of weird lands and color that you have. And so like it really does open you up for a little bit more flexibility where it's like, OK, a green and a black and then I keep up my blue for stubborn denial, or I keep up like my red for a, a tribal flames or a lightning bolt, you know, depending on the amount of mana I have available. So I think that that's really the thing I like about it is the flexibility on the mana and the trample for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I think that this card, because of the lack of the rummage ability, you know, ideally your Kavu so I when I was playing these cards, I would play this one before Kavu to try to get someone to kill this first. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I would try to get Kavu online to be able to draw into more gas. In that way. Oh, yeah. I think for the trample's sure. important. You're forcing in damage, yada, yada, yada. But this card, I think it's just kind of fine. And I kind of feel that way about the next card, too, <laughs> which is Cyanodraco, which costs 12, of course, but it's still main is that this spell costs two generic less for. Each basic land type among lands you control, it has flying, it's a 4-4, and then it says each creature you control has Vigilance if it's white, hexproof if it's blue, Lifelift if it's black, First Strike if it's red, and Trample if it's green. Those are the only two that matter, unless you steal somebody else's cards with <laughs> yeah. Ragavan.
0: I mean, giving Territorial Kavu Trample is great. And First Strike. And First Strike. I mean, these are these are
1: clutch things. You know what's really good to, to give First Strike to sometimes, though? Uh, Ragavan? Ragavan. <laughs> yes that's pretty helpful occasionally for sure i mean
0: you make you make your ragavan into a thalia
1: sort of yeah but this is the card that to me was always like this is the one where if your mana gets disrupted it's kind of the worst you know it's hard you never have any outs to cast it you know this is the one where the flying helps a ton so having some evasion to help close out games is nice occasionally but it also dies to artifact removal uh, randomly which is kind of a drag here and there um I don't know, but the one thing is clear to me is that this deck is all about the two drops and it's all about getting these two drops that you have to do some work to enable online as fast as possible. And so we'll we'll talk about that more a little bit later when we get to the lands, but yeah. you know they're really good. They're really good stats to mana value ratio. They don't really do much. They just sort of attack. And yes, that's, that's what, what the deck is does. about. It's about yeah. attacking. But yeah. given the past of this deck, the last time I played a domain deck like this with Tribal Flames in it was probably 2018, early 2019. Sure. And that deck at that time had Curd Ape, Loam Lion, and Wild and in it. So all yeah. of your cards were dependent on being weird cards that got stats bonuses <laughs> yeah. for having a forest in play or having a mountain in play or whatever. And then we had Goyf in that deck as well. This is that deck
0: that, uh, you know, a few few people built because it was dirt cheap besides, like, Goifs And then, you know, and except now you have better mana bases to support more domain creatures. And you're, you have things like Leyline Binding and Scion of Draco and Territorial Kavu to take advantage of that. So yeah, this is something that they were pushing in Horizons 2. And they see the... And, you know, as we got Leyline Binding, of course, after that.
1: This, this is the result of that. Yeah, exactly. It's the result of that and the result of a couple of other things. A couple other cards that people play in these decks, but we didn't. At least, I don't. did you run the same deck list as me or did you try something different? You play the same as me? Yeah, same deck. Just thought we'd talk about the same one. There is a Cascade version of this deck floating around that some people seem to have a lot of affinity for, where you say cast a Bloodbraid Elf and and go into a General Ferris Rockerick, or you go into a Mantis Rider. Those are good cards, too, you know? Sometimes they play Geist of St. Traft to be able to have a really resilient threat that can kind of help you close out the game with a four-in-the-air you know, four in the air swing. These are all cards that are from maybe other eras of Modern in some sense, other than General Ferris Rockerick, which is a Modern Horizons 2 card that sort of never had its day. But we just kept it really simple. This is the aggro version of this list. This is just the beatdown version of this list that we're talking about today. For sure.
0: It's interesting, in my playtesting, I did go up against some kind of weird Ferris Rockerwork style deck, but they never really seemed like to get what they were going, coming together. But let's talk about, Dave, the other pile of cards in this deck, which is yeah. the interaction. And, and these are think, good. Yeah, these are good, right? This is kind of like the payoff for doing the domain thing and you know, having a really somewhat junky mana base. But you get to play things like Tribal Flames, And Leyline Binding, like, you know, we've talked a lot about how much we appreciate Leyline Binding, how much it can do for you, the fact that it can just tag any kind of permanent for as cheap as a single white mana is kind of bonkers, you know, and and all it asks you to do in this deck is to do what you
1: want to do anyway,
0: which is play a bunch of different land types.
1: Yeah, I mean, Leyline Binding, if you're enabling it, is just the best source to Plowshares ever, You know, occasionally someone kills your Leyline Binding and they get their permanent back, but... I like never have that happen. That's what's
0: surprising. Like, no one ever... Barely ever happens.
1: Yeah. Barely, barely ever happens. We just don't have... Decks just don't often have the tools to kill an enchantment. They just don't that much. Yeah. Haywire might change it a little bit, but... Sure. Anyway. We do in this deck, too, but... Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, the other card that's huge here... You know, Leyline Binding is also important because it gets you out of stuff that the rest of your interaction can't handle which is basically burn based interaction so you have tribal flames in this deck and tribal flames is kind of an unbelievable card in the sense that it's either it's two mana sure but it's when you have domain it's five to any target for two mana and that includes players yeah it's outrageous so being able to kill a giant creature or kill a planeswalker pretty easily or Just double Tribal Flames somebody when they're sitting at 10 life and really don't see it coming is pretty unbelievable.
0: Yeah, Tribal Flames to me is like the card in this deck that makes it like a legitimate sort of aggro big creature deck. Like the reach is just pretty wild. Like it reminds me of stuff like Crater's Claws when I was playing like Khan's red green aggro. Where it's like, hey, if, if you're ferocious, if you have a creature that's four plus plow or power, it's just kind of like a, a really good fireball. And this is much better than that, of course, because it just does, you know, it can it, you can't power it more than five, but doing five for two mana is pretty outrageous. And it really can bring reach that people aren't really expecting. Like, if they know this deck, like, they're going to be thinking about Tribal Flames. But a lot of times, if you're just sort of playing fast and loose, and people aren't expecting you to, you know, deal 5 to the dome or deal 5 to their creature.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean and it's one of the original domain cards. It's one of the ones that was also in the deck when I played it 5 years ago. I think it's a card that people have liked having access to for a long time. It's just a really iconic card and it's cool that it's that it's here as well. And then outside of that, so these are the ones that are really taking advantage of domain and the ones that really give you that mana value value. And then you have Lightning Bolt. So you actually have an eight card burn package in this deck in a lot of ways. And sometimes when I was playing this deck, it really felt like, oh, all I'm trying to do is tag somebody twice with with Kavu, tag somebody twice with one of my two drops, and then I'm just going to burn them out like that seemed like what the primary game plan was a lot of the time. What do you think about that, Shane?
0: Yeah, I mean, if we talking game plan, like it's really it takes you back to sort of like classic strategies like this, which is just I stick a creature or two. I remove the things that are in my way or I trample over them, and
1: then I can finish you off with a bit of reach. Yep. Yeah. More or less what I'm trying to do. It's not more complicated than that. Right. But, you know, part of me was kind of like, is this a better version of burn? But I think, you know, it doesn't go as fast as burn at all. Like, and it's not as concentrated because you are hedging against certain parts, kinds of interaction. You're you're, you're not getting
0: under things with this deck typically. I mean, that's super slow, but like, yeah, you're not sneaking in like eight points of creature burn and then finishing off with like a pile of three damage spells. You're sort of, you know, you'd like to get in your your burn, excuse me, you would like to get in your creatures through the interaction you have in hand. And if you're doing that in, with burn, you're not really super happy.
1: Right. Yeah. You'd rather be going in the dome, though. You're extremely happy if you just can suddenly not interact anymore and just go face with your spells oh yeah i'm and, fine
0: with that it definitely finish yeah. people off with that like a lightning bolt and a tribal flames for three mana doing eight damage
1: yeah oh i had a game where i was like i had three cards in hand and i was like okay how can i get through all their blockers so i can keep attacking the three cards i had were oh, I, I had uh, a ley line binding and two tribal flames and i had five mana and i was <laughs> like okay well oh they're at twelve Oh, so dead. I'm just going to lay line by into their blocker, hit them with Ragavan, and then I'm going to hit them for 10 with Tribal Flames post-combat. Was Perfect. Like, bam. And then the, other, the final card in here for interaction, and this is a little bit of a wild card, I think, in this deck, but it's a card that used to be really good in modern and then hasn't been as good for a while, and that is Stubborn Denial.
0: Yeah. Interesting inclusion. This deck ran four. Which I think is is pretty aggressive in terms of like what they're expecting to see because it only hits non-creature
1: spells. Yeah, but here's why: you can, you got to get rid of blood moons. You have you cannot get blood moons in this deck, and so if people try to go at you when on curve, you know maybe before you have a ferocious threat online to make it just a counter, just a negate, you know, then you need stubborn denial for that. But also there's a lot of times where you can just force spike a blood moon or a red and six and it's fine. Yeah. I
0: did a lot of force spiking. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, Hey, um, this looks like a deck that's trying to do some spell stuff early. Like I'm not going to, you know, playing to the board is a good idea here, but I think that I'm, I need to leave up some stubborn denial because I have it in hand and that proved to be valuable where it's just like sort of trying to, you know, keeping your, your opponent off of casting spells whether it's going to be a spell pierce or a stubborn denial pretty valuable and then once you do set up a board and have access to just a single blue mana uh having just a, a counter spell more or less is pretty ridiculous so you know uh, well whatever uh, a
1: negates i don't know some kind of negate, counter spell negate. Type thing. Yeah. yeah negate yeah i don't know it's a cool thing to look at this list and be like oh this is a three really good one mana spells Right. Yep. That are trying to do a little bit of the Death Shadow thing where it's like we're gonna have the cheapest interaction possible. A really like threatening late game spell in tribal flames, and then a really weird utility spell in this build in Dromoka's command as a three of in the build that we were playing. Aggressive. Part of the reason I wanted to play this build was because I was like, Dromoka's command, sign me up. I remembered how much I lost to that card during like the Obzon <laughs> Obzon standard. Yeah, use, era. Useful
0: card for sure. I mean, and what what are the modes? It's like plus one, plus one, fight. It's target opponent, sacrifices and enchantment. It's uh, make make a red burns, make a direct damage spell, not do damage, and then yes, is there another one? No,
1: those are the four modes. Okay, well,
0: I think I only said three, didn't I?
1: No, you said so. The plus one, plus one, and the fight are separate.
0: Oh, okay, got it.
1: Okay. Right, so it's it's four modes. And generally what you're doing a lot of times is against creature decks. You're making one of your creatures bigger and then fighting, and that's cool. And then you, you want to have access to Dramocha's Command to make someone sacrifice a Blood Moon or, in my case, a Spreading Seas that I faced at one point in time with this. So it's that kind of stuff that you want to protect yourself from. And then finally, I actually found that the Dramocha's Command was pretty good in the burn matchup because I could negate essentially one of their burn spells and then also fight one of their creatures like so i would wait for them to try to searing blaze my person and then i would go back and fight their goblin guide or something while the uh, burning blaze is on the stack or searing blaze is on the stack so cool card i it was fun to play it again i i don't know if it's like the best but it certainly made some sense in this deck and that's the deck except for lance
0: yeah uh let's, let's talk about the lands a little bit. Like lands is the hardest part of the deck. It's super hard. Like I I think it might be hard cuz it's not good. <laughs> but like it's kind of like <laughs> what you have to do. Like you're not going to really run more than this deck runs 21 lands it's not um, going to really run more than that like your only ability to sort of filter your deck is through territorial kavu there could be something to be said for maybe like additional ways to do that but that would require like what like fable the stuff that's just on a game plan right like fable the mirror right. breaker or season pyromancer and so what this is is it has what 12 fetches in flooded strand windswept heath and wooded foothills it has two Triomes in Zagath Triome, which is the Saltai, black, green, or blue, or Savai, which is red, white, or black. So interesting right. that the overlap color is like your least useful one in black, but it also, I think, helps because you don't have a lot of your shocks that have black. So that gets you to your black yeah. pip in
1: one of your Triomes. Right. So let me, let me explain what's going on here, or Please at do. least what I think is going on here. Okay, this whole game plan is about getting to play one of your domain creatures fully powered up on turn 2. That's that's what I think that what we're doing is because I think that if you do it on turn yeah, 3 sure. it's kind of too late, right? Or it's it's too slow. I, don't, I guess that, that's plan A. You don't have to do it every time. It depends on matchup, blah, 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 blah. But I think what you're trying to do when you sit down and play is I want to get all five colors in play by turn two so that I can play Draco or Brawler or Territorial Kavu exactly. and hopefully play another one the next turn. In order to do that, you have to have a plan, right? Because the only way to, to enable that is through one Triome and one Shockland. Yeah, okay? but then if you a if Triome on turn one, you're not casting a one-drop... That's that's the other problem, but let me... So that's why the deck is constructed the way it is, and it's why the Black Pip is the one that's shared between those Triomes, is because what you really want specifically is you want access to red and green on turn two so that you can cast either Brawler, Kavu, or Sign of Draco, sure. all of them on on that turn. And there's nothing there's nothing that really benefits you from going doing otherwise, right? And so either you want to land that casts Lightning Bolt or Leyline Binding, or you want a land that casts Stubborn Denial on the other side. Now, that might change with your game plan, depending on what your hand looks like, but I think that's what it is. So the pairs that you have in this deck are, your play should be basically like, I'm going to go get Savai Triome, and then I'm going to cast Breeding Pool, or then I'm going to play Breeding Pool on turn two, mm-hmm. or I'm going to go get Zagoth Triome on turn one, and I'm going to play Sacred Foundry on turn to like that's that's how you get to your powered up state so i think that mostly what you're going to try to do is try zagoth triumph into sacred foundry so that you can have binding so you have bolt or ley line binding up early is that the, the outcome in either case really yeah so either if you need the interaction you can cast one of your one drops like you can cast while in the Coddle and still have those removal spells up on turn two, or you play one of your turn two cards. However, what you said about the one drops is really, really hard here because it feels like you're supposed to play Wadnokadal or Ragavan on turn one. Yeah. And I think that the big brain thing with this deck might be that you're not, that you shouldn't yeah. cast those cards on turn one.
0: Because like, you sort of like give up the tempo turn one and just like get it all back later, where it's like you're in fully powered up mode.
1: Well, I think what you really want to do is go turn two, Kavu, Turn three, Scion cast Wild Nacatl or Ragavan on the side, sure, or you know, dash Ragavan on turn three. Yeah, I mean, definitely dash some Ragavans for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Like, I think that you can sort of piece together, like, depending on your your lands, like you know, there's twelve fetches in here, so like you could pretty easily just do a fetch shock your way to five colors because this is not a deck that necessarily needs an early ley line binding. So you can sort of like fit in ley line binding later in the game where it's like, okay, now I've come casting my term on ley line bindings or I have my fully powered up tribal flames or things like that. Sort of like, you know, or you, like you said, you get that, territorial kavu down on turn two turn three you can fetch into like your fifth color make it a five five i think there's a lot of ways to play it depending on your hand construction and kind of the sequence of turns you need to do you need to sort of take over the game
1: right but not if you're trying to get domain by turn two like, no. That's the one thing that you have to remember is like, if you have a hand where you're going to play Steam Vents as your first land to play Ragavan on turn one, there's no Triumph in this deck that gets you no. to Domain on turn two. There's 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 no. There's nothing you can fetch up to turn that on. There's not even, and it's just not constructed that way. The earlier versions of this deck from this fall had Xander's Lounge and Indotha Triumph, which is the Obson one. I don't know why those ones were chosen this particular time, but it's worth noting that black is the one that unifies those two. <laughs> as well. But the old deck was go steam vents and then endoth a triome, which I think makes it a little bit too late to get white mana. And then the other one is go Temple Garden and Xander's Lounge, which I guess is where like you go if you have Wild Nicodle instead. So there's different ways to do these pairs, but I think that there's all like if you look at the triomes, you should work back to which shock land you're supposed to be trying to get early oh, yeah, on as sure. much as possible. Yeah, like this this this
0: is not uncommon. This is something that uh, we do a lot in Four or five color rhinos right but the real problem i mean the benefit of that is that we don't really need a lot of turn one plays, right like we're sort of taking over like turn two turn three and so you can pretty easily look at your the shock that you have in hand or the fetches that you have available and be like okay i'm going to fetch up the triome that that matches with this, just like you said but the problem with this deck for me is and maybe it's like you said is like hey uh you can take turn one off because of the benefit you get from your turn two plays and and later on. so like you know rather than worry about get the one drop that messes up your entire land sequencing is uh, get the two drop that takes advantage of that land sequencing, and then you can double spell on turn
1: three, for example, like you said. yeah. That that's just what it, it felt like after I played this a little bit is like I was doing a little bit more freelancing where I was kind of like oh I'm going to play my one drop I'm going to go for it I'm going to be aggro this time and it just felt like maybe a lot of times I should have just stuck to the plan and be like okay I'm going to keep my interaction up if they don't have something I have to interact with I'm going to go get my my Triome then I'm going to play my Shockland then I'm going to play my two drop blah 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 blah, blah. and kind of game proceeds from there sure
0: I mean I definitely can't right. say I know the best way to play this deck I just know a way to play this deck
1: yeah. So I think bottom line, we said this was going to be a short, short dive down. And so we're going to, we're going to cut it off pretty quickly here, but the that's, that's what this deck is though. It's good assertive threats. It's good, cheap interaction, comes with awkward land sequencing and land development, depending on how you play your cards. There's some serious choices you have to make that can make it feel like your game is not progressing. But what does that all add up to? Um, I think it's sort of an interesting meta choice right now. My finger I can't really put my finger on the reason that it has a little resurgence right now. Part of me feels like it might have something to do with Murktide in the sense that even though Murktide is a Blood Moon deck, which is one of the worst cards to face as Domain, when you're playing Big Threats and Ragavan and you're playing Leyline Binding Main in an Assertive deck, it feels like you might be trying to exploit the fact that you can sort of catch Murktide off guard if you can kill their murtide's main in a way that's easy right so i don't know if that's why or what it's really shooting for another thing could be that a deck like this you know it's not super duper i guess it, it's as uh harmed by scam as any deck really is especially since this is full of tr- creatures so i, I mean, think it
0: has it has bigger bodies like more toughness so like the The furies don't immediately take, you know, kill off everything. Like it kind of just would be a a two for one potentially, where it's, unless you're getting the undying effect, but it doesn't seem like an amazing matchup by any means. Yeah. You have a lot of redundancy. It's like a single, a single grief, you know, or like a thoughtsy or something that doesn't really hurt your hand too badly typically.
1: Yeah. I do think against other creature strategies, like if you're playing against tribal decks, like this deck just felt like a pretty strong tribe in itself, where it's like, well, I have enough removal to just kill everything and i have giant threats and i can outpace you even though i'm dealing with your creatures at the same time that felt like a pretty reasonable matchup when i was playing this hammer felt tough for example but you know i think that makes sense because we're trying to play cheap big threats but their cheap big threat is bigger and we don't have as many things that that interact with that particular axis as we main board as we do maybe post board, but you can bring it like wear tear and a couple other things that might help you there.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean,
1: you know, overall, like I think like
0: the deck has strengths in that it's, you know, it, it does what it wants to do fairly effectively and pretty routinely, just because of the sort of like internal redundancy of the creatures and the amount of burn-based interaction and things like that. But I wasn't like immediately convinced that, oh man, this is like, this is the deck that I need to be playing in modern. That's like kind of like the meta breaker.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely wasn't convinced of that either, for sure. But it did feel like it hung in there. It just felt so linear that it really, there wasn't a lot of decisions to be made other than fetching correctly.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the big thing is like, what do I do with my mana that allows me to play the game and the way that I need to in this current, you know, board state and my hand state and what my opponent's trying to do, or I think my opponent's trying to do.
1: Yeah, I will say, if you are someone who already has some of these cards, this is not a hard deck to get into. No, In paper, you know, the most expensive cards in this deck, believe it or not. Now, I mean, everybody knows Ragavan's expensive still. I'm looking at Goldfish. I don't know what the the real cost is. But Ragavan is a third of the cost of this deck just in its own. Yeah. The other expensive cards here are the Khans Fetchlands. At this point, Wooded Foothills is a $45-ish card. Right now, not $45, 30, yeah, 30, five, 40, yeah, $40 $35, dollars 40
0: dollars card. Yeah. All Footage the people who sat on similar. those for seven
1: years or however many years it is now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think this is a good deck if I'm just like, I'm gonna relax and just like play some play some leagues, but just like be yeah. a little brainless about it. It's probably fun. It's fun. I had fun playing it. Yeah, it I t- don't know it, it if takes I need you to back. go back either.
0: It takes me yeah. back to like, you know, my red green stompy type days, where it's just like here's some here's some creatures, here's some spells. Let's see what happens on the other side here.
1: Yep. Yeah. So that's domain zoo.
0: Believe or
1: heave, Shane. I think believe.
0: I think it's a belief, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think which I think is fair for where it is in the meta game, right? It's like it's a deck that is like top top ten ish. It's it's number twelve on the goldfish list. So I mean, it's front page, baby. Like, so you know, it's it's like by grinding station and like four and five color omnath in terms of like amount that it's seen seen by goldfish. So you know, good on you, Domain Zoo for for getting your head above water and being a deck that has legitimate chops, I think in the, in the format. Yeah. Dave, we, we got through it. We, we did a, a long tournament breakdown and a shorter deck dive. So I'm, I'm impressed with us another week without Stan. We survived without our, the wing, the wind beneath our wings, the, the true uh, wind in our sails. And I don't know, something else wind related, the blowhard. I, don't I know was going to say, <laughs> That's more me, I think. You know what's funny, Dave, is my my wife asked me this week, uh, if you totaled up who who talked the most on the podcast, who would it be? And I was like, I think we all try to talk rather evenly. And then I was like, it's probably me. It's probably I think <laughs> it actually might be me. I think everyone just thinks they talk the most.
1: Yeah. Too much. <laughs> Too much.
0: And with that in mind. Yeah. That wraps up this week's show. If you have not yet, uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, like we said earlier, feel free to leave us a rating, leave us a review, let us know what you think about The Dive Down. If you want to submit a question, comment, reach out to us, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word, email the dive Down at gmail.com. Get in those YouTube comments if you want to. We support. We uh, do post every episode on YouTube for those who can't really easily get a podcast other ways. If if you want to support the show, you can join the Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Check out our store at thedivedown.com slash store as well to also help keep us going. Thanks again to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. You can sign up for Manitraders using promo code the dive down fifteen. No, it's the dive down ten now all one word for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You can also get some awesome shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, uh, and more at Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N, using code The Down 15 for 15% off your first order. Again, you can save money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code Dive8 for 8% off your order there. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and be the master of your domain.